0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Second Timothy chapter two, and we're going to pick it up. We left off at verse fourteen, and uh, so I'll just start reading there. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor of the church in Ephesus. Timothy, excuse me, Paul is in a prison cell right now, uh, writing this letter. Uh, it's not a comfortable prison. Uh, he's in a dungeon in uh, in Rome at this point. And so this is his last letter that he writes, actually, before he loses his life. He's, he'll be martyred for his faith, according to church tradition. So he's writing this, and, and uh, he's been telling Timothy all these things in chapter 2. And finally, verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Remind him of what things would probably be the first thing you'd ask, especially if you weren't here last week. And one of the things is verse 8. If you back up to verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ the, of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And then also verse 11 through 13, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. You know, it's, it's good to be reminded of these things. Paul writes that. Peter writes this. You know, it's good to remind the church of these things. And it's good to be reminded of these things. These things profit us. Look at verse 8. Jesus of the seed of David. That's referring to the promised Messiah. The seed of David. The son of David. You know, he's been promised throughout scriptures in the Old Testament. And he has arrived. The Messiah's arrived. The promise of God's promise. And he rose from the dead. And he paid the wages of your and my sin with his death on the cross. And then the Bible teaches that he rose from the dead. And the reason that he rose from the dead, his, or because he rose from the dead, his sacrifice for your and my sin was accepted. I mean, that profits us. It's good to, remind, it's good to dwell on those. It's good to keep that in, in mind and stuff. Uh, why? Well, because it means that the problem of your and my sin has been solved. Sin is a problem but Jesus Christ solved it for each one of us. So that's good to be reminded of. And then going on to those other verses, verse 11, if we died with Christ and your and my lives are hidden with him and God, as it says in the Bible, this profits us. It's good to remember that it profits us. Why? Well, because my old self has died with Christ. It's symbolized when you partake of baptism. Baptism doesn't wash you. It doesn't change you. Baptism is a symbol of what's already occurred in your life. And, and so it symbolizes dying with Christ. You, you go into the water, and, it, and, and you're identifying with Christ's death and burial. And then you come out of the water, you're, you're identifying with his resurrection. You're coming to new life, and, and you're clean, and, you're, and you're, a, you're, a, you're a complete new creation in Christ. I mean, that profits us to think about those things. It's good to remember those things. I'm a new creation in Christ. I no longer have to be enslaved to the sin that I once was. Those sins that held me down, I, I don't have to be enslaved to them anymore. I'm a new creation. Man, that profits. That's, that's good stuff to think about. It's good stuff to be studying and to talk about, to share one You know, encouraging one another with these things. It's great to be reminded of these things when I feel tempted to fall back into old habits of my sin. It's good to remember, hey man, I I don't have to do that anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. And he says, and if we died with Christ, and of course Paul, you know, I mean this is a very real thing for the Apostle Paul because he knows that his death is imminent. And church history tells us shortly after he wrote this letter, his head was, he was beheaded for his faith there in Rome if we died with Christ, whether from natural causes or from martyrdom, as Paul would soon uh, experience himself, we know that we too will be resurrected as he was. Now, what a hope that is to cling to, especially when you're facing death. Death isn't the end for a believer in Jesus Christ. We will be resurrected. This profits us. We don't need to fear death. This means that you and I have a real and a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's not wishful thinking. Oh, I hope that I'm going to rise. No, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You will too, if you put your faith in him as Lord and Savior. And he says, and if we endure with him, we shall also reign with him. This profits us. Why? We should be looking up because our redemption is drawing near. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is bringing his rewards with him. He is returning. And we're going to be rewarded according to the works that you and I have done in the body. As Once you've Become born again. And once you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, now you're... you're. I mean, Jesus just doesn't, like, take you out of here. He leaves you in your job. He leaves you in your family. He leaves you in your circumstance. Why? So that you can minister to others. So that you can reach others with the gospel yourself. So that he can use your life for his glory. And, of course, those things that we do for him... We are going to be judged. We're going, to, And not in a sense of, of damnation, you know, going to heaven or hell. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're already saved. You're going to heaven. These are rewards that you're going to receive for the things that you've done for him. And that's going to take place at the judgment seat of Christ. And so we need to endure and not lose heart and give up. And then he says if we deny him, he will deny us. That's a profitable thing to think about. It's a good thing to think about. I want to live my life in a way that doesn't deny Him. Now we know, like Peter, for example, when the night that Jesus was arrested and and was on trial there, he denied Jesus Christ. He I, mean, I don't know Him, and he cursed and swore like a fisherman would, because <laughs> that's what he was, you know. And it's, I don't know the guy, bleepity bleep bleep, you know. And uh, and he did that three times. Now people can verbally deny Jesus Christ, but you know what? There's another way to deny Him, and that's those that, you know, we profess to know Him, but we deny Him by our works. We say, oh, I know Jesus Christ, i got a relationship with Him, but yet your life doesn't show it, doesn't reflect it. People go, do you really? It doesn't seem like it. And so it profits us to be reminded of these things. I want to ensure I am living my life in such a way that when I die and go to heaven, I'm not going to hear Jesus Christ say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's, it's good, it's profitable to be focused on these things. And then he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. Again, this is profitable. It's good to be reminded of God's faithfulness and his unchanging character. We were singing that this morning in those worship songs. Great is your faithfulness. Man, God doesn't change. That is a relief. You know, we put our trust in Christ for our salvation. Could you imagine getting to heaven and then Jesus said, oh you know you get there and all of a sudden they say well you know your salvation expired we changed the we changed the rules it's no longer it's no good anymore i'm sorry you missed the boat that happens when you you know other things we buy things and stuff and you miss miss out on stuff but god's promises never change he's faithful man what a hope that you and i have so these are profitable things it has an impact on our lives as believers. But now Paul warns Timothy, he says, to charge the people that, Paul, that Timothy ministers before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. See, those things we talked about, they, they're profitable. It's good to f- reflect on it, it's good to talk about those things. But there's other things that people talk about that aren't profitable, that, that, that don't really have an impact, or if they do, they have a negative impact. You know, he says, don't argue over words that have very little value. And it's amazing. There's all these different churches, and sometimes that's all all that they do is they argue about the different words and and rather than the, the, the main central things of Jesus Christ, faith in Christ. They argue over words. They argue over words of very little value to the ruin, and that word is catastrophe, to the catastrophe of the hearers. John Calvin, he said that, this way, he said, "Away with all speculations that produce no edification." I like that when I read that. Away with all speculations that produce no edification. If it doesn't build me up, if it doesn't strengthen my faith, if it doesn't make me want to be more like Jesus or make me more like man, I don't. Want, I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about all those side issues. This should be our attitude when it comes to debating and arguing non-essentials of doctrines with others. We can get so hung up in the things that are just not essential. If, you're, if what you're telling me, and I've had people come up to me and tell me all different things, if what you're saying makes you more like Jesus and I can observe it in your life, then, yeah, keep going. I want to I hear about it. Because it's probably going to be profitable to me. But if you're telling me all the stuff that you believe and all this stuff, and, and I look at your life and I go, man, I, I don't... I don't see any change. I mean, how does it make you more like Jeff? I don't want to hear it because it's not going to profit me. In fact, it might actually hurt me. Keep it to yourself. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not hearing by man's teaching, not hearing by man's ideas, but by God's word. God's word is what changes us. This message you're hearing today from me, it's not going to change you. You might go, oh, that was a good message, or oh, it was a bad message, and then you can mark it on your card, right? It was a bad message. But you know what? It's not going to change. You might remember some applications, I say, or something like that. Maybe that will have some kind of an impact on you. But you know what actually changes you? It's God's Word. God's Word is what changes you. Factions, debates come from man's teaching, but not from faith. You know, we would be so much better off if we just stuck to the Word of God. You know, I've seen it over and over again in this fellowship, and I've seen it all along, I've seen where people, they fall in love with Jesus. And then they start hungering and thirsting for his word, and they start reading the Bible. And then they don't just start reading the Bible. All of a sudden they're like, man, they start obeying the Bible. They start applying it to their lives, and they start applying it into their situations. Hey, I'm in this situation. This is what God's word says. I don't think I'm going to trust God in this situation, and I'm going to do what he says. You know what? They change. They're transformed. That's the only way you're going to transform is through God's word. Verse 15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Now he's writing to Timothy, right? A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's an important message for Paul to write to a pastor, you know, but you know what? It applies to all of us. Be diligent. Or make every effort to do one's best to be eager to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's that, that rightly dividing is two Greek words. Orthotomeo, which means right, and temno, to cut or to divide. So what it means is to cut or divide the word of truth correctly. Now if you go to Mayo Clinic for surgery, you hope your surgeon's going to cut you correctly, Right? You they're just not going to go in there and start slashing and dicing and stuff. And, man, I hope I get, you want them to do it exactly where it needs to be done. You don't want them just to go, go crazy. Oh, surgeon's gone wild. You don't want anything like that. Um, sorry. Yeah. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep, so I'm a little punchy this morning. But you hope that your surgeon's going to handle your surgery correctly. He's going di- to rightly divide you. Um, and that really means to handle correctly and skillfully. And you know what? There's a right way and a wrong way to divide the scriptures. Biblical truth is not subjective. People think, well, man, you know, you, you might share, this is what the Bible teaches. You go Well, you know what? That's your interpretation. That's not the way I interpret the Bible. Well, you know what? There is a right and a wrong interpretation. And I'm not saying it from an attitude of Self righteous pride. I know the answers. You know, I know the truth. I'm not saying that. But there is a way to rightly divide the scriptures. In uh, Matthew chapter 7 1, you don't need to turn there. This is one of the verses that even if people that don't believe in Jesus Christ or maybe they've never gone to church, somehow they know this verse it's, Judge not that you be not judged. And they love that verse, man. That's, that's the sinner's you know, favorite verse. If they were going to have a bumper sticker, that would be on their bumper sticker. Judge not that you be not judged. And their interpretation is that no one should judge them. And of course, that way they can continue in their sin without being confronted about it. After all, Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. They've divided the Scripture, but they're cut. Their interpretation is wrong. Why? You know, one of the biggest errors... Of interpretation is pulling scripture out of context. Going to it with like you've got this preconceived notion, and you start digging around and finding a verse that's hey, It says what I'm looking for. There it is, and you you just rip it out of the context of what it was who it was said to, what was the context, what are the verses around it, and everything like that. And that's the same thing with Matthew 7.1. What's the context of that? The context that Jesus is talking about is judging someone with a different standard than you judge yourself. And that's something that's very easy to do. I can easily spot the sin in your lives. But the sin in my life, well, you know what, I've got an excuse for it. Or, you know, God knows my heart. You know, and I I can can give reasons for it. But boy, I see your sin. Man, you're a sinner. You know. (laughs) Uh, you know, our sins or other sins always look so much more worse than our sin. Jesus was saying, don't judge anyone by a standard you're not willing to be judged by because God's going to hold you to the same standard that you hold other people to. That, that's the context of that verse. If Jesus was forbidding us from judging others, well, guess what? He violated his own command because how many times did he judge the Pharisees and the scribes? You whitewash tombs. That's pretty harsh, <laughs> you know. Don't be like these guys, man. They do all this, you know. Jesus judged them. So, the context of that is not being hypocritical in your judging and not having a judgmental attitude, because it's so easy to do. So, there is a right way and a wrong way to interpret Scripture. There is a right way and a wrong way to divide it. Verse sixteen, he says, "But shun profane and idle babblings." For they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. But shun profane—that means unhallowed, not sacred. It lacks any kind of relationship or affinity to God. Um, shun profane and idle babblings. It means empty or fruitless speaking. It says, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Now, I like personally, I like king james version of that portion of scripture because it says and their word will eat as doth a canker (laughs) just sounds a little more you know oh wow the idea is gangrene it's like how gangrene eats flesh you know it spreads it slowly eats away the body it starts eating the rotten flesh but eventually if it's not checked it starts eating the healthy tissue until the whole body finally dies and this teachings, these false teachings, that's how it, sp- it spreads like that. You know, sometimes false teachers will be kind of focused on one particular thing. It's like this one thing that they've taken out of context, or they're trying to make it fit that whatever they're trying to teach. And it's one teaching, but eventually that false teaching will affect other doctrines. Because basically, the doctrines of the gospel, they're all interrelated to each other. I've heard people, and you know... I've heard people you know, they go to other, you know, they're other involved with other ministries or other churches, whatever. And I'm not, I'm not slamming other churches. I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. But I've heard people describe it this way. Well, you know, they're kind of off in this area, but you know, the rest they're they're pretty good over here. But there's just one area, you know, I I just I just kind of ignore that part of it. But they're they're pretty good in every other areas. Well, you know what? Sooner or later, like cancer, like like gangrene, it's going to affect, they're going to be off in other areas as well. And so there in verse 17, the second half, Paul gives an example. He says, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Now, whatever these guys were saying about the resurrection, uh, whether they were saying there's no subsequent resurrection for the believer, it's already done, there's not going to be another resurrection. Or they were maybe possibly leaning towards Gnosticism, where it's basically they were maybe saying, you know, Christ's resurrection was only spiritual and not a physical resurrection. There was all these... Weird teachings that were springing up at that time. Whatever they were saying and however they supported it with Scripture, even if they did, maybe they didn't, it was overthrowing the faith of others. You know what's interesting to me about this verse? Philetus. We don't know anything about him. That's the only time he's mentioned in Scriptures. But we know he was a false teacher as Paul mentions it. But there's two times that Hymeneus is mentioned This is the second time that Hymenaeus is mentioned. The other time Hymenaeus Hymenaeus was mentioned was in Paul's first letter to Timothy. This is the second letter, in his first letter. There, in the first letter, he describes Hymenaeus as uh, as having had his faith suffered shipwreck because he was teaching blasphemous things. And now, if this is the same Hymenaeus, and I believe it is, now, first it's Hymenaeus and Alexander in 1 Timothy, and now in Second Timothy, it's Hymenaeus and Philetus. There's a common denominator in there. You know what it is? Hymenaeus. This guy was drawing other people in, and you know that's what false teachers do. You know they, they some people they misinterpret Scripture. They come up with these weird doctrines and stuff. And you know what? It, it, they can't keep it to themselves. They they want to draw a following. And so they'll you know, man every other church teaches this, but this is the truth. And they start. Pulling people away. I don't know why, but they do that. Wherever they go, though, they leave spiritual carnage in their wake. And Hymenaeus is one of these guys. One of these guys that starts divisions in churches. Comes up with this little side teaching that becomes, you know, it's, it's a big thing. It becomes the main thing for them, rather than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, whatever these guys were saying about the resurrection, our faith hinges... Our faith hinges on the literal, physical resurrection of Christ from the grave. Paul puts it great. I'm going to just read it out to you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has not been raised from the dead, or excuse me, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. But listen, it's, you, know, you could say, well, what's the big deal? It is a big deal, because this, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So The resurrection, it's, it's a big deal. And these guys were teaching, they were teaching some false erroneous doctrine about it. This is an essential truth that does matter. Verse 19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. These men, like Hymenaeus and Philetus, they may be overthrowing the faith of some. And their false teaching seemed to be spreading. Others were kind of getting influenced by it and getting caught up in it. And it was spreading to the whole church. You know, as I, you know and I haven't been a Christian well, I guess since the 70s I've been a Christian, but I gave my life back to the Lord. I rededicated my life back to the Lord in, in the 80s. And it's amazing. You know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, isn't it amazing how many winds of doctrine have swept through the church? The, the, the church, not just this church, but the church. Um, they've swept through from time to time. And sometimes people get caught up in that wave and they, they, they follow these, these, weird, these weird teachings that are secondary. They're not, they're not the main thing. Well, it doesn't matter how many people start following these false doctrines. The church of Jesus Christ has a firm foundation. You know, in ancient times, foundations had seals on them. They put a seal on the foundation. New Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, it has 12 foundations, and on each foundation is a seal, has the name of one of the apostles on it. Well, these two seals mentioned by Paul, let me read it to you again. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Paul's a pretty smart guy. And you know, he says stuff that's just kind of like, "Huh? Well, it could be that he's referring to Korah's rebellion in Numbers 16." And I don't know if you remember Korah. It's when Moses was called Moses and Levi actually um, or excuse me Aaron. Aaron was called by God to be the high priest, the very first high priest of Israel. And Korah was a Levite, but Korah's like, man, what's so special about Aaron? And he started kind of raising up a following, and people were starting to follow him. And in uh, Numbers 16, verse 3, Korah, he got a bunch of guys with him, and they approached Moses and Aaron, and they says this, they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. Hey, what's so special about you guys, basically? Every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Well the thing is, Moses hadn't exalted himself, God had exalted him, and God had exalted Aaron. So so when Moses heard it he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him near to come cause him to come near to him, that the one whom he chooses will cause. Uh, he will cause to come near to him and uh, and so the story goes that Aaron was supposed to they were all supposed to take censers i think it was the censers one well, not the buds there's one where his bud his staff budded but i think it was the censers and they brought it before the lord and and god clearly showed that Aaron was the one who was appointed by god and these other ones weren't see the lord knows who are his you know so so often false teachers they appear as sheep they, they, they seem like they, they, they love the Lord, and they have, but they have these weird teachings. And actually, they're ravenous wolves. Well, the Lord knows who are His. It reminds me of the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, they're, they're, there's all these, these, these tares, these weeds growing up among the wheat, and the the, the farmers are getting all, the, the workers are getting all excited about it, and, and, and the farmer says, hey, don't worry about it. Let them grow up together. We'll, we'll separate them out in the end. God knows who are His. Well, anyways, in Numbers 16, verse 23, it says, So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins." So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their whole households, and all the men and Korah with all their goods. So they and all those who were with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. And so what God was saying is, hey, stay clear of these guys, because they're, they're going to be judged, and they were. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If someone is teaching and debating about words that instead of being profitable, they're just they're just they're they're nothing. They don't do anything. They don't produce anything. Stay away from these guys. Avoid them. Depart from iniquity. If they take them totally out of scripture, totally out of context, shun them. Avoid them. Stay away from them so that you don't get affected by their cancerous teachings. Verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You know, we all fit in there somewhere. Some of you are gold. I mean, you're just you're awesome. You're gold. Some of you are, well, you're pretty good. You're silver, you know. Some of you are wood. You know, it's okay. It's all right. Wood's, wood's good too. And so a few of you, probably not, are clods of clay like me. I mean, really, think about it. You know, it's funny. I, I've i gone to uh, several senior pastors. Con- I didn't go this year to the senior pastors conference in Southern California. But I've been to them in the past. Sitting there with like 500, 700 pastors, however many are there. And these are guys that have been serving the Lord, they, just, they you know, just ministering and stuff. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm worshiping with them or I'm there and, and I go, you know what? I, I can really identify with Paul when he says, man, I'm the least of the apostles. Because I'm sitting there and I go, man, I'm the least of these Calvary Chapel pastors. mean, these guys, they're just, they've been serving the Lord and loving the Lord and they're so awesome. They're gold. They're silver. But me, <laughs> I feel like a piece of clay. Not just a clod, you know, a dirt clod. Well, you know what? Maybe you might feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel like you're a clod here in the church, you know, or in the, in the family of God. You're just like, man, I, I just, when it comes to spiritual stuff, I feel dumber than a box of rocks, you know. I, can't, I just, I just, I, I can't quote verses. I can't do that. I just, I have a hard time understanding this stuff. Maybe you feel that way. But you know what's cool about this verse? Do you know which ones are the ones that are fit for the master's use? The gold. No, not actually. The ones that he looks for are those that are clean. The clean ones. It doesn't matter if they're gold, silver, wood, or clay. It's the clean ones are the ones that the Lord can use. If you name the name of Christ this morning, depart from iniquity. Walk away from sin. Evidently, because Paul says this, evidently it is possible as a new creation in Christ to depart from the sins that you used to be so a slave to. It's evidently possible because Jesus says, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from sin. So apparently you can depart from sin. Apparently you don't have to do those sins that have been hanging up, you know, that you've been caught up in. According to scripture, you you don't have to do them because you're a new creation in Christ. Hmm, Interesting. Unfortunately, there are believers that live that way. They're living like they're still in bondage and they've been set free. Verse 22 Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, Timothy was younger, and he was possibly, in fact, quite probably he was single. And so there were issues that he would have to deal with. And so Paul addresses that. Flee youthful lusts. Flee them. Run away from them, because they're going to drag you down. But look what he says. You flee those things, but instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, there was a couple, well, actually it's been more than a couple years ago, I decided one summer I was going to play mandolin. So I never played mandolin before, bought a mandolin. And uh, Luke, my son, was helping me uh, with it. And then we would go up, Just about every Saturday night or Friday night, we'd go up to Hastings, Minnesota, and we have friends from another Calvary, and he was a music major in college and stuff, and he built his own string bass. He's from Kentucky, Joe. And that guy could play bluegrass like nobody's business. I mean, he could just—he just—he was really good, and his wife was good too. And uh, he had a couple friends, and they—they get together every Friday night because that's what he grew up doing. You just sit around on the porch down in Kentucky, apparently, and you play bluegrass music. And so that's—he was just kind of like reliving that. And so he said, "Hey, anytime you guys want to come down, or any, and invite anybody along, just come on down and just jam with us for for an evening." And so I'm like, "Man, what a good way to learn!" So I went down there, and of course I'm like, "Bing." You know, I can't play for beans. Still have a hard time. And, and uh, you know, you start playing with people that are good, and it picks up your skills. You, you learn from them. You learn little, you know, ways to do it. And you, you play with them, and pretty soon it's like it, it brings you up. If you want to learn a skill... You know, I was working, we were doing our kitchen. I'd never done our kitchen remodel. Well, I did actually do, kind of do one, but I've never done cabinets and stuff. And we had a friend who's, who's skilled at that, and he was helping me. And it was, I was actually, I'm, I'm learning, and I'm like, man, I feel like I could do this again. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up because I was with somebody who knew they were doing. And it's the same with anything. You want to be good in art or music or whatever skill it is, sports, the same thing. Hang out with those who are going to lift you up. Who are going to improve your skills rather than drag you down? Well, the same thing is true spiritually. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to actually get beyond what you're dealing with, start hanging out with those that are walking with the Lord who are, just like you, pursuing righteousness, peace, and love and faith. Don't hang around with guys that are going to, girls, whatever, that are going to drag you down. You might say, well, you know, that's my ministry. We had a person here that one time saying that, you know, I, I go to these places and the guy was struggling with stuff. He goes, I go to these places and I'm going to be a witness to them. Well, you know what? It's not going to work that way. They're going to drag you down. You need to be around other fellow Christians that are growing because they're going to encourage you. They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to, they're, you're going to be talking the same language with them. And so this is what Paul is saying here verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. You know, Paul is really trying to get a point across, isn't he? Over and over again. Paul, tell us how you really feel. Hang out with those who are pursuing righteousness, faith, love, etc. Avoid those who are just disputers who seem to be only content if they're generating strife. And you'll find those people in churches. They're all focused on these side issues. Just stay away from them. Hang out with those that, that you go, and you know you, you, you start to get to know people go, you know that person really loves jesus man they 're really trying to grow. I want to hang out with them because I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want it to rub off on me, and that 's what we should be doing, encouraging one another that 's why fellowship is so important, being involved in each other 's lives verse twenty four and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach. Patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, uh, having been taken captive by him to do his will. What should our attitude be? You know what? If you rightly divide scriptures, you're going to come across people that are wrongly dividing scriptures, you're going to come across opposition. You're going to get come across people say, "Well, that's your opinion. You're kind of narrow-minded. You know, that's not the way I view it." And you know, you get you're going to have that, "What should our attitude be?" We shouldn't be quarrelsome. Don't get into a debate. Don't get into a, an argument. You're not going to you're not going to argue someone into the kingdom. You're not going to argue someone to change their theology. It's not going to happen. Oh, God's God's words what's going to change them. You're not. But be gentle with them able to teach. Now, not everybody's a pastor, but you know what? We should know what we believe and why we believe it. You should be able to defend what you believe. And if you don't, I'd encourage you to start studying the Bible. Start taking notes and you know, start, start digging in. If you don't understand something, get with somebody that you go, oh, man, he's, they seem like a more mature. I'm going to spend some time with them. Hey, can we study God's word together? Man, that'd be great if you guys were doing that. Some of you probably are. I don't, I don't know, but you maybe you are but we should know what we believe and why. And then when we're involved with these people that are going to they're going to be you're going to come across opposition, be humble. Oh, I know the truth, man. I'm, you know, I'm the sole source of truth. No. Be humble. And also love. Not you know, you want to see them repent, not burn in hell for their apostate views. You want to you want to love them. Understanding here that they've been fooled and taken captive by the devil to do his will. They're not the enemy. We have one enemy, and that's the devil. Other believers that maybe are looking at things different, they're not our enemies. They've been deceived by the enemy. And so we should have that attitude of love and that attitude of gentleness and really praying for them. And, and you know, it also says... Um, Able to teach, patient and humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Sometimes you do need to say stuff. I'm a I'm kind of person. I, you know, you you stay really strongly what your opinion is, and it may be off. And you know what? My my tendency is like, okay, whatever. That's what you believe. You know, fine. There are times when we need to stand up and we need to correct them, but in humility and with love, not with judgment, not with you know, you false, you you apostate and stuff. Pray for them. Pray that the Lord would humbly correct them. We finished this chapter, and uh, we'll pick it up when I return. Um, I was talking to Pastor Wayne. I call him Pastor Wayne because he was a pastor, but um, he's uh, very excited about teaching. I don't think he's going to be teaching in Timothy, so we'll be taking a break from that. But uh, um, anyways, why don't you stand up. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. And I encourage you... Uh, to come out next week and the week after. And uh, I think you'll be really blessed and really encouraged. If nothing else, just to see this guy walking around, it's amazing. You know, after the surgery, his two, le- his two legs, his, two, his leg is two inches back down. It's like normal height again. So it's, it's amazing what they've done. Three inches. Oh, it's three inches, not two inches. Amazing. Anyways, you'll get to meet him in person next week. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you for just the, the reminders that uh, Paul was reminding Timothy of. And Lord, those things are profitable. Even, even this morning, 2,000 years after these were penned, Lord, it's profitable for us to be thinking about these things, to be reminded of these things. And Lord, I know that there's so many uh, weird teachings out there, weird ideas that are being spread around throughout the church Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would give us the spirit of discernment. Lord, that we would not get caught up on man's teachings, but Lord, we would get caught up in your word. Lord, that it would be your word that we go to. It would be your word that we study. It would be your word that we would look for the final answers to the questions that we're seeking, Father. Because your word has those answers. And your word can transform us as we submit our lives to you and to your word. And so, Father, I just pray your blessing upon us. I pray that we might be encouraged in this area. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.